the incomparable. Number 568, May 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This episode is about a recently ended TV series. It's Invincible, the animated TV series based on the comic book by Robert Kirkman uh, on Amazon Prime Video. Robert Kirkman, you may know, uh, became kind of super famous because his comic book, The Walking Dead, became, at one point, I don't think it is anymore, but at one point, the uh, basically biggest hit on television. <laughs> and uh, But he also... While he was making that comic, that black and white horror comic about zombies, he was also the writer of a long-running comic book about a teenage superhero that played with superhero tropes and was and was introduced to me by Lisa Schmeiser, I believe, on this very podcast. It's one of my favorite comics of the last 20 years, and uh, they made it into an animated series. So we're going to talk about not the comic, other than maybe where it links and how the adaptation went, but about the first season of Invincible. Uh, joining me to talk about Invincible are the following wonderful superheroes. Glenn Fleischman is here. Hello. Hello. It's appropriate because I am incomprehensible. Mm. James Thompson is here. Hello. Hello. Uh, insert title card here. And Moises Chuyan. Hello. You might be Omni-Man, but you're not my dad. You're not my real dad. Uh, <laughs> okay. Before we talk about like in detail what happens in Invincible, I would like to do what we do here, which is talk about it at a, at a higher level for people who are considering whether they should watch this thing uh, before we sort of spoil everything and then we'll fire off the spoiler horn. Um, I, so I, I am an Invincible super fan. I own the three massive paperback collections that collect all 144 issues of the comic book, which ran from uh, 2003 to 2018. Uh, I bought most of those as single issues, too, during the run after I caught up, thanks to Lisa telling me about it. And I love it. So uh, I am coming at this TV series from a position of this being one of my favorite comic books. Um, but and, I, and I'll say, from that position, I think it's a really great adaptation that gets across what the comic book is like. Uh, but we should probably explain to people how it reads as a TV series. And you all might do a better job of that than me. Um, it's, it's a superhero animated series, but it's not for kids. Uh, it is, uh, it has language and it has violence and it has, uh, it has cartoon gore, like lots of it, like lots and lots of, of exploding body parts and blood and stuff. I'll say this, the, the amount of, of gore and violence is something that uh, for, for people who say, oh, I want my superheroes grim and gritty and realistic and grounded, um, this treats people with the strength to punch people's faces off um, as if they can actually punch people's faces off uh, and, and what results from the use of that kind of power. Um, and I, 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 it, it is, uh, to me, not gratuitous in that that is part of what the story is talking about is that, you know, you, you dress somebody in, in bright, shiny spandex doesn't necessarily mean that everything that they do with their ability to punch people's faces off, um, is pretty or sanitized. Mm. Um, and, and I think that, that, that is one of the various conceits of the, of the comic that is here where it's not, uh, um, and you know, now this is another reference to explain. It's not quite to the extent of Eric Larson's Savage Dragon, where it's, uh, gratuitous for for gratuity's sake, um, but it it is all over the violence of this show because the yeah, it logically follows from yeah, it logically the follows. presence of super powered people. I don't usually like gore on TV or or um, film, but I'll follow, uh, watch it if I think there's a a compelling purpose. Like I feel like it's good, you know, it's it's uh, something that I feel is meaningful to watch. So it's not gratuitous, but it's also that I can get over the gore quotient and actually watch the thing. That would be the consequence of superheroes. And, uh, you know, I like the Astro city, uh, run, which I know we covered some point past on the incomparable. I mean, that series was non gritty, but it also was the, what happens if we really have superheroes in the world, there's all of this collateral damage and invincible. I mean, the primary story is centered on the superheroes, obviously, but the fact is there's just massive collateral damage 
all the time. And um, Moises, partly to your point here, I think, is I feel uh, one of the <laughs> – this is going to sound like a digression. It is not. I feel like one of the difficulty difficult parts of um, talking about the devil like as a religious figure is that they often don't attribute enough to him, right? And some movies try to and some you know, mostly fail. He's usually mischie mischievous instead of evil uh, or at a scale. And I think this – show the anim I mean I've read the comic books after watching the animated this first animated season I think the animated series um manages to capture the, both sort of the scale of contempt and power so sort of that range of well you could knock somebody out or you could uh, kill hundreds of thousands of people with a single fist strike and that's how powerful these people are and you just don't see, you know, that level of like, say, like the devil. The devil is always like, oh, I'm going to do this terrible little thing. It's like, no, in this series, we get to anticipate that in a way that I, I have seen. I mean, maybe the boys is the closest thing, which is uber gritty. And um, I haven't yet been able to to crest into season two because season one was was difficult. But it's that's a different that is a whole different take on the superhero thing too. But anyway, this is, I think the first animated look I've ever seen uh, at something, uh, you know, done for an American audience or, a, a, you know, non manga audience, non anime audience. That's this, you know, just absolutely, there are consequences and these people are super powerful. I've never read the comic and I went into the series knowing absolutely nothing about it other than Jake, JK Simmons was in it, who I will watch in absolutely <laughs> sure. anything. So, so it was like, Oh great. Uh, a show with JK Simmons. Well, well um, and you know, I, I'd heard it was a bit like the boys, which it didn't really seem to be for the first episode. And then right. Uh, I mean, this is minor spoiler, uh, at the end of the first episode, the the tone of the show changes somewhat and i was like oh that it's not the show that i thought it was mm -hmm. for for the first you know half an hour of the show because it, it kind of is like you know what if peter parker was clark kent's son it's basically the show yeah. for the first uh oh. first half hour um and then things happen and then it gets more complicated but i think this is the thing about the comic that is also true about the animated series which is we've been talking about the violence and the brutality and the idea that if you have superpowered people they have the ability to wreak you know godzilla style kind of havoc on a on a city scale and just tremendously horrible gory havoc on a on a body scale all of that is there. I, I was reminded of uh, Man of Steel, where two invulnerable people punch mm. each other and destroy a city, but they never yeah. really harm each other. And the super-powered people in Invincible harm each other, and it, it and they, they cause grotesque injuries to one another. And that, but that is combined with this is a show and a comic that loves the superhero genre, loves how silly it is, loves the teen superhero getting their powers and not knowing their place in the world and how to navigate social life and how to navigate their parents and, and the parents just don't understand them and it's often metaphorical. Like, it's that too. And the, the juxtaposition can be breathtaking at times, but the you know, the weight of the show, I feel like, is still primarily emotional. It's just that it's not entirely emotional. Also, like, they don't just get hurt in their feelings. They also have body parts ripped out of them. Like, both of those things happen in Invincible. This is, you know, it's a little Buffy-like in that sense, as you have things that are totally outside of scale. People can get hurt and die. And the primary dynamic is that of, you know, initially the friendships and then the family. You know, it's ex if gradually expanding, um, you know, family dynamic almost as, as people become closer together. And this, you know, takes it to the next, not next extreme, but it's... Um, it's you don't have a super powered family. You have a normal powered mom and she takes things remarkably in her stride for a while. Uh, no spoilers yet. And uh, that makes it a very different show when you have civilians living with superheroes who are, again, vastly more powered, not just slightly more powered than everybody else. Or like just the scale is, you know, one to one times 10 to the 25th or something. The thing about this show uh, and the comic loving superhero comics, you have analogs to 
all manner of characters. Oh, yeah. This isn't just a <laughs> Justice League pastiche, though you do have Justice League type characters like, you know, a very clear Wonder Woman analog, War Woman. Um, instead of Martian Manhunter, you have um, Martian oh, Man. man. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it's the thinnest yeah. of thinly veiled. Uh, there's a uh, there's a Batman. Uh, Darkwing is is the uh-huh. is the Batman analog. The Flash analog is Red Rush. But you yeah. also have like there's a a Kirby Eternals kind of character who is the immortal who is uh-huh. who is just a I mean really it's like literally let's call it an homage to Jack Kirby's character design because it's <laughs> yeah. that it is that yeah, that head um, yeah. you even have that Legion of Superheroes analogs uh, which you know in in the comics the Legion of Superheroes were uh, quite popular at one point and then like the Defenders you know waned a bit but um, but yeah Kirkman has Shrinking Ray instead of Shrinking Violet right. and um, and uh, Duplicate instead of right. Triplicate Girl and do, um, Doom Patrol is referenced to I would think yes. because instead of robot yeah. man we have robot 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 <laughs> just robot um, who might be yeah. a man but it's just robot uh, yeah, who knows yeah and this is this is the thing so okay my watch this with my family and they they are not as comic book literate as I am and it, it like they would be like he's smiling again over there he's smiling and I'm like but the references like <laughs> but it's not it's just like this show and the comic before it are riffing and this is this is the thing this show loves comic book superheroes and i think that's an important part uh, going into it is this is not a show that's like we're going to we're going to shake up superheroes getting back to how i feel about Zack Snyder sometimes which is right, we're right. going to shake up superheroes cuz it's like there's something wrong with comic book superheroes that needs to be fixed by making them darker or less saturated or unhappy or or something or 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 cynical or or nihilistic it's like no invincible dearly dearly loves comic book superheroes and knows all about them and is just gonna riff endlessly on how on all of these archetypal superheroes on all of these dumb supervillains like it is there is no end to the knowledge and the playfulness of the world of invincible right like it just you everything is a celebration of some often dumb thing that is a standard feature of superhero comics it loves it i'll interject too one of the things that shocked me watching this i mean i think i watched this over a few just a few days so it's eight episodes and uh because of the gore i was watching on a laptop it's that thing where i'm am i going to watch it on the tv well my family has a very low gore tolerance far below uh mine and uh so i got through you know the episodes are very short and you zoom through it and by the end i'm like this is an eight eight episode arc and by the end i was thinking um there's a little it's not steven universe per se but when you start watching steven universe at the beginning you're like this is a goofy show and these people are all gems and there's this kid and by the end you're like galactic empire uh destruction of all living things you're like oh <laughs> wow okay oh, spoilers sorry i think yeah. steven universe is not long enough people know that and and it doesn't follow exactly the same arc here obviously but that um the thing that shocked me was the depth of emotional attachment the emotional uh, nuance even mm-hmm. by the eighth episode where I was like, uh, uh, wow, I actually, this ridiculous, ridiculous set of supervillains they introduced in episode one who seem like the most generic pointless like we're gonna you know this is not a spoiler we're gonna kill the president i get maybe he's at home just this dopey opening thing which i was like all right what am i in for later in the season i'm like holy cow i'm actually crying mm-hmm. at their interaction here that's an astonishing thing i think to pull off in any uh arc when you can get that kind of thing going and in eight episodes i think it's pretty impressive I think it's interesting because I've watched uh, this, The Boys, and Jupiter's Legacy within, (laughs) you know, like a a few months of each other. And it's three extremely different takes on basically people wanting to talk about superheroes. And all of them have got kind of like, well, this one's clearly Superman, this one's clearly whatever. Uh, But in this one, they're slightly more of a jerk or in this one, you know, whatever. It's... It, it's interesting to see the those different things, and I think this is the least cynical of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it I, is. Mm-hmm. And it, it definitely, oh, yeah. it's made by somebody who actually likes superheroes <laughs> as opposed to the boys, which seems to be made by somebody who hates superheroes. Well, it's, yeah, Garth, Garth Ennis, as, as uh, comics writers go, uh, few people hate capes more than Garth Ennis. <laughs> um, I, if I were to classify them, the boys is much more about 
superheroes as celebrity culture. Um, Jupiter's Legacy is Mark Miller's uh, take on DC's Kingdom Come, also covered right. on the Incomparable. Gods we're, Walk we're, Among we're, Us, yeah, yeah. Mm. We're we're being very expensive uh, when it comes to sending people to go buy a lot of comics, uh-huh. but they're all good. <laughs> is the thing. Um, I, and the the thing that I was I was going to say about um, just you know the the love of the characters and so on is that there are those direct analogs, and then there are ones that. I'm not sure if if Cecil Stedman, as played by Walton Goggins, is supposed to be William Bendix from Stormwatch, but he kind of is. He kind um, of is. He steps through his little portals. Is. He's kind of he's kind of a Nick Fury type for some values yeah. of Nick Fury. He's a mixture of things. But, yeah. but then he softens in a way that was totally unexpected to me. And um, but I does mean, I think he that plays out more in the comic <laughs> books? But, do, but does right, he? Exactly, and does and he. that's part of the beauty of this this story. And, and the other thing I wanted to say before we blow the, the spoiler horn is um, we've been talking about, Glenn mentioned the arc. Like, it's a story arc. This this show's been picked up for two more seasons, so it's going to continue. But it is a fulfilling story. And I will say this is not, although it does have some sort of comic book pacing in the sense that, you know, things happen at the end of every episode where you're like, oh, what's going to happen in the next episode? It also doesn't feel episodic in the sense that it is telling a very particular set of stories and the characters progress. This is not... Kirkman, in describing Invincible uh, and the run of it, said he loves uh, teenage superhero stories like Spider-Man and that it, very clearly Mark, our main character, who is Invincible, is uh, he is that kind of analog, although he's more of a Superman kind of powered person and his dad is very much Omni-Man, is Superman. Uh, but what he said is he loves those stories, but what he doesn't love about them is th- that because superheroes are valuable intellectual property, they end up on a treadmill. And you oh, can yeah. you can never advance the storyline ultimately wow. because you have to undo it because everybody wow. has to go back to status quo. And across 144 issues of Invincible, the comic book, and this is true of Invincible, the TV series, it isn't static. It is telling a story. The characters grow, progress, change their relationships to one another, change. It, it you know, they never double back. They never reset. In the comics, there's one reset. It's a joke, <laughs> and <laughs> it's a it's a fake out and a joke, and then it's not a reset after all. Spoilers for about ep- issue 120 of Invincible, um, <laughs> and that's part of the beauty of this thing is that you're not what you're not going to get is the eternal present of a comic book where nobody ever changes. The whole point of Invincible is stuff happens, and including the stuff that we'll get to that happens at the end of episode one in the mid credit sequence, essentially, like. The whole point of Invincible is this stuff's permanent. Like you don't undo. Everybody has to live with what everybody has done previously, and it changes everybody's emotional connections and their relationships to one another. And and that is a again, they it loves the subject matter, the source material. It honors it. Uh, it is not being cynical about it, but it is trying to put it in a more, I guess, realistic for a mm-hmm. show about flying people. Realistic. Uh, emotional and narrative context. On the note of the all-star cast, I think, you know, a lot of people know Stephen Yeun, uh, J.K. Simmons, Sandra Oh, Zazie Beetz. Um, you've got, you've got well-known names as well, like Gillian Jacobs as Adam Eve. Mm-hmm. Walton um, Goggins. Uh, Walton Clancy Goggins. Brown. Mark Hamill's in there. Clancy Brown yeah. as, uh, Clancy Brown, I want, I, I want, I want to call out uh, one of my favorite characters that look, if, if a uh, hilariously goofy um, uh, concept for a character will sell you on the show. It is Damien Darkblood, who is oh. effectively Etrigan the Demon, yep. but also a hard-boiled detective. Yeah, played well, by why is he wearing Brown. a cyber he's, suit? Well, he's Etrigan the Demon, but also Rorschach. But also Rorschach. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, exactly. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, so you've got you've got those well-known, um, you know, on-screen names, but then there's this murderer's row of of animation talents like Great Lyle, Kevin Michael Richardson, Fred Tatashore, um, folks that you've heard on a billion different cartoons. Um, Mantzoukas shows up and you've forgotten that he's in the show uh, by the time he shows up and then yes. he's definitely in there uh-huh. but then like, they, they have people like John Hamm just drop in and you're like is that John Hamm? That is John Hamm. It is definitely yeah. John Hamm. Seth Rogen who is one of the co-producers of the show he he plays a, a very interesting excellent, character. Excellent yep. character. When I was watching it I didn't recognize many of the voices because I was just kind of concentrating on the thing and the, the only one that stuck out to me was Zachary Quinto because he sounds like Zachary Quinto yes. you know. Yes, Robot. Um Yes, he play, he, who's got into a, a rut of playing emotionless characters. <laughs> um, but uh, 
then I went back and I was like, and it was, yeah, oh, that, the, 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 the Taylor was Mark Hamill and uh-huh. Michael Dawn was Battle Beast uh-huh. and all these and, things. And I, I, I'm not going to say uh, who Reginald Vell Johnson plays, but Reginald Vell Johnson is in the show and is also a reference in the show. And I, I love that. <laughs> We're going to fire off the spoiler horn. Uh, suffice it to say, uh, you should check it out if this sounds intriguing to you. Something that is both uh, kind of violent and bloody, for, but animated. I find animated gore uh, uh, more palatable. And uh, not that it's palatable, but like, more yum, shocking, yum, 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 give me some gore. But like, and also it actually kind of humorous in the sense that it's like somebody had to draw those guts flying across like <laughs> that and, and not CGI realistic uh, blood and splatter and all of that, but but draw it in a in a carny, cartoony comic booky way is kind of a funny thing. But also it's very emotionally resonant and uh, and really good and not cynical about the genre that it's in. It's not parodying a superhero story. It is a superhero story. I got one more thing to insert. Yes. It's uh, it's uh, the Tick animated series. There is a distinct. This is not that, but um, oh man, it, 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 there's a distinct element of it yes. in terms of the irreverence. So if you mm-hmm. took the Tick animated series and you crossed it with part of the Amazon live action series, which had tons of gore, that is kind of some of the aesthetic of the show. Even though this is totally original, I think the Invincible is the closest thing I've ever seen to the Tick animated series. Oh, it's yeah. just not for kids; it's for yeah. grownups. But there are <laughs> there are moments where I'm like, there are villains who appear, and I turn to Lauren because we loved watching the Tick animated series, and yeah. I, I'm like, this is this is the Tick now. <laughs> like it suddenly it's the Tick. Oh, it's just the, this is a guy, ludicrous villain with a ludicrous plot. I love the it. guy running around so angry that he's like, oh, I've got the Destructor Ray, and it's like, bam, like oh. I would say there's there's lots of primary colors in this, but lots of red. Yes, yes. The most primary of all colors. Here's the spoiler horn. So at the end of episode one in the mid-credit sequence, Omni-Man goes into the lead the, the Guardians of the Globe headquarters and he murders them all. And we're like, what that was just amazing. happened? And it's just like this holy cow. That was the point. Like I had I had no, no knowledge of what was gonna happen. And and I watched the first like 30, 35 minutes or whatever it was, and I was like, hey, this show's fine. You know, it's kind of like just one of those. <laughs> and then there's like this moment where there's like brains and body parts and whatever flying everywhere. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is not going the way I thought it was going to go. Omni-Man is not such a good guy. I have not read the comics. I knew nothing. I I was like, I'm going in this blind, which is great for something like this. Then you get the full shock value when there are actual revelations. You're like, oh my God, what what is going on here? At the end, Omni-Man leaves, right? And and it's like this moment where he has a a moment of like realizing something Mark says to him and he's shaken and he leaves. And again, not going to, you know, not going to talk about the the future of it other than to say this, which is in Invincible characters don't just like go away and are never seen again. They don't get written out like that. They all the characters go. You you follow them. So I'll just say it's not like he disappears and we never see him again. So there's more to be told about what the arc of Omni-Man is and the Viltrum rights and the whole the whole thing. I want to mention um something about uh, comparing this to the comic like i think this is amazingly um honoring the comic while also making some interesting deliberate choices the the beauty of writing something in a comic from 2003 to 2018 over 144 issues and then retelling that story for tv is not only is the pacing different but you've got 20 years to rethink what the right parts (laughs) of your story are and what and how to tell the story in maybe a different and more direct way and it's fascinating because season one draws on things from across the first 48 issues of invincible the first third of the run and they're things that it doesn't do that we'll probably see later although some of them they might discard but there's a lot of stuff where they're like i'll take this from it from back here and this from up here it's all from the comic though every single thing is from the comic it's just been restructured in a way that i i think i mean i'm sure there's a writer's room and they all talked about it but i think kirkman has probably also been thinking in his head like how would i tell this story now in a different way and and, but they're mining that source material. It's incredibly faithful to the source material. It's just not beat for beat what the source material is. Just one example of that that comes to mind is the Monster Girl robot stuff that mm-hmm. we get more of that faster yeah. than uh, than than happens until way later in the comics. And, and the revelation of who Robot is and yeah. that he's using the Maulers who are 
one of my favorite two of my favorite characters they're oh the, my the God. clone the cloners who think the other one is the clone and they're the original and that is oh a bit God. from the comic that is a recurring bit and he uses them to clone a body based on Rex Splode, <laughs> Jason Manzukis, so that he can be uh he can get out of his kind of grotesquely disfigured shell and into a different yeah. body and that happens that happens like 50 issues in in the comic yeah. and it happens in like episode nine or no sorry this is an eight episode season yeah, seven, seven or of yeah. this so yeah. it, it they move that up a lot one other thing i wanted to throw in is is that when when this show originally aired it was it was it was an episode a week right and not dropped all at once and i was watching it week to week to week yes and and i found it so wonderful uh that, that they dropped it that way and didn't just drop all of it at once the way that they do the boys, the way that Jupiter's legacy did, um, because especially that cliffhanger from the end of episode one really paid off. And then the other cliffhangers that they had across all of the other episodes, the most comic booky thing about this show is the way that they play those cliffhangers and the way that they play in, in truly great superhero comic book storytelling, uh, sense, they play, you know, the page turn like a cliffhanger and you, you have that kind of feeling, uh, the way that it's progressing. It's not just cross cutting from one, you know, from an A story to a B story, uh, you know, to pad out runtime. Um, all of it is very, very intentional and very, uh, very beautifully choreographed. And I think to your point, Jason, very much the benefit of having roughly 20 years of, Hmm. So when I redo this, they, they, they know exactly where the story is going, uh, is going right in a way that many TV writers, <clears throat> TV writers don't know where their story is going. Invincible knows exactly the whole story. Right. And so they don't ever make a move that is just a stalling tactic because they know what the story is. They know exactly what the story is. They're sticking to the source material as much as they want to. And they're not making up different plot threads. You know, it seems fairly uh, accurate to the comics, except they've, with the 20 years, they've done things like they've changed the racial mix. Yes, I was going to say. They've, they've also dropped the homophobic slurs, which was the thing that stood out to me from the comics. So yeah, this is this yeah. is one of the things that I was going to mention, which is uh, mm-hmm. 20 years on. Another thing that's happened is Robert Kirkman has looked back at his original work and said, oh, yeah, no, we're not going to do it like that. <laughs> Good, so yeah. so among the things that are changed, uh, Mark's blonde, uh, blue-eyed girlfriend is now black. Um I think notably, Mark is explicitly Asian, as is his mom. Yep. Um, with the casting of Stephen Yun and Sandra Oh, that is not. I mean, you could read it that way, but it's not really clear in the comics. I would say, in the way that it is clear in this. Um, and then, yes, the, the Mark's friend, Mark's friend in the comics, they use gay as a punchline, and then later Kirkman kind of. Um, retcons it into a thing where it turns out that he uses that as a storyline and his friend comes out. And here his friend's just gay at the start and it's fine. And like this is, you can see the progression of 20 years in the mind of a writer and in a society that this is a far more diverse story than the comic from 2003 is. But like they, that was part of the big revision that was done here. Oh, and I didn't mention Shrinking Ray was a male character and Shrinking Ray is now a woman. So there's also sort of a building, taking some characters that were like the Guardians of the Globe or the teen team, very male oriented and and trying to make them a little more gender balanced is another thing they went. Well, it's the trailer. When the trailer came out, they have that bit, the uh, father son bit where they're floating in in the air and they're playing baseball around opposite ends of the earth. And I, I did the calculation, of course, and was joking about how it would destroy the entire earth's atmosphere if they threw a baseball that fast. Uh, but what was great is I was just being a jerk or a smart aleck on Twitter as I can be. Not not that bad, I hope. And uh, but I what they did, I feel like is that was kind of an Easter egg. Because then in the show, when they're throwing the ball around, at one point they cut to the ball passing through the earth, it nearly hits an airplane. And it almost knocks hikers off like Mount Everest or something. Yep. And then it comes back and they're completely heedless and they play it a little bit for laughs like, haha, it went under an airplane wing and whatever. But I feel like that's an incredible foreshadowing of this sort of contempt for 
the consequences or the the lack of interest in the consequences. And I was like, oh, that's very good. And it's just this little point. But I was just thinking about it while we were talking about uh, the arc of the show and thought they even managed to sneak that into the trailer with that, and then into that early scene without it seeming like an overt, like, oh, look, they don't care. But there is that. Yeah. Also, that's the how does Superman play catch with his kid? And this is like the <laughs> ball around the planet. And there was that moment, like, it's just a, such a good gag of like, this is yeah. a thing that, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And yet it's superhero physics and 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 you go with it yes. the moment that i love in that in addition to the fact that yes it is it is going nearly missing all of these things is is the moment where uh, omni man says to mark he says you hear it it's like yeah because <laughs> you can hear it coming <laughs> i'm like oh i love it it's so good it, it really is pretty impressive the the way that um the way that they uh have managed to rehabilitate and d2003 this overall um without it coming off as doing it for effect or doing it because they had to um it it's very intentional and it feels it feels lived in and not performative Mm. um and and not you know i am the african superheroes here to talk about being black um or or anything like that that there is that bit where it's like there's a superhero black superhero whose name is black samson black samson (laughs) right but like it's very knowing of like 70s superhero types and it's like oh man like it's it it knows specifically playing up the fact that not only not only is is the name outdated but he is outdated yeah what was the the line from uh from uh the winter soldier uh falcon the winter soldier the line about are you you falcon just falcon (laughs) he's a just falcon i was like oh my god that was beautiful yeah it's it's the commenting on the exact same same thing where all the black superheroes in the 70s were like we here's a black superhero his name is black something it's like oh Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I mean, honestly, it's, you're, you're looking at the source material and you're saying it's 2021 and, and not 2003. And, uh, and Kirkman is clearly very closely involved in, and this, um, material is, is being treated very seriously, the source material, um, even though it's being changed. I know it seems weird where I'm saying that they're changing it a lot and yet it's very faithful, but I, it is both of those things at once. They're, they're reshuffling and restructuring like a writer would do in a second draft of the, of the story, but it's still the same it, story. It's so good. So, like even, I got to say, I was even slightly annoyed by the, um, by it just, just be very picky, but to show something the show did that was great is I was slightly annoyed by uh, Adam Eve's costume in the comic books when I picked them up and I'm like, this feels slightly exploitative. She's supposed to be a teenager. I know this is kind of the genre, but it was because I'd seen in the TV show, she had a different costume that was much more, you know, let's say empowered or less revealing. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting myself in the hot water here because she could choose you have if you have a female character in a show is she making the choice the writers and animators making the choice but th- there's that bit in the animated series in which uh <laughs> which i thought was hilarious the whole thing with doc seismic saying i had a minor in women's studies and he's like he's like both distracting her and making legitimate points about the patriarchy mm-hmm. and about capitalism and imperialism and you're like wait a minute what is going on here he's like mount rushmore they don't deserve to be up there they still you know like oh my god and she's like he's like look at the outfit they put you in she's like I designed this outfit and I was like, oh, but what a beautiful telling thing where he gets to retcon the outfit that's in that she was in for so long in the comic books by saying, no, I designed this. Like it was an update, but they let her take ownership of it as a character, but also had that little (laughs) exegesis in that episode that was totally unexpected. And not that one was not in the comic books, the Doc Seismic speech, which was just great. My my question about the comics, like I, I read sort of the first 12 or so. 12, 13, uh, and that seemed to cover the main, you know, plot arc of this series. But as people who have read the whole thing, how many uh, seasons worth of material do you think there is? I think it's really hard to say. Like if if they, it, uh, there are there is so much in those 144 issues in terms of huge story arcs. I think that they, the, the challenge is really like, what do they think are the ones that are worth telling? Um, but I think it could go on a long time if they wanted to. Um, it, it depends. Like, again, just because they took elements from the first 48 issues doesn't necessarily mean that they're done mining the first 48 issues because there's other things that they didn't touch at all that they're probably going to do 
next season or in the third season. So I, I think there's a long, I mean, 144 issues, that's, that's a lot of issues. They could do five, seven seasons if they really wanted to. There's the scope of the, of the comic is so widescreen. It is huge, the scope of it. So um, it really is sort of up to them. Uh, they, they need to choose what stories they want to tell. Uh, but they're not hurting for stories. I, I think the challenge is just, you know, how long are they going to do this and, and what parts of the story do they want to tell next? And it's been confirmed uh, or it's been renewed for two, two and, and three. three. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. this could easily be five to seven, don't you think? I mean, I don't think this could be 15 unless they came up with no, uh, No, but they could, yeah, no, they could do easily. five or seven seasons of five, six, seven seasons of this uh, easily. And they've got source material for all of it because it goes there. You know, the, it is a whole story. And Mark's journey is a long and winding one. So there's lots of story to tell. I haven't read all the comics yet. I've read uh, probably two thirds of the run yet. And I, a shout out to Hoopla, the uh, service that many libraries subscribe to that lets you uh, borrow comic books from, you know, legally from your library each month. And uh, so I've read some of the collections that way. And uh, the thing that I, I guess that I love is that um, it, they, ha- he did manage to keep it not predictable. Like there's still not just surprises, but this, there's incredible emotional nuance in some of the surprises where you're, you're shocked and can't figure out whether this is a double bluff or whatever. So that to me means that, that, that gives you these season arcs. If he just wants to take them from the book, their books, they're all there because um, of the emotional depth of it. Right. Instead of like the character goes to planet X and goes to planet Y and goes to planet Z. It's like, no, there are bigger forces at work, but also tiny little emotional ones as well. Yeah. The, the way that they, fa- they seemingly fast forward stuff with the, uh, the, the aliens uh, whose emperor is played by Jimon Honsu, um, which, you know, again, is something that like they, they played out and stretched out over time, but then they kind of set it up that that isn't, that isn't done. Right. That's one of various dangling threads along with the Martian stuff. Um, (laughs) It's, it's, it's wonderful that that's how they chose to, to end the first season, which is going, Oh, Oh yeah. All this stuff we set up, we're, we're going to keep using it. Like we're not just going to forget it. Oh yeah. Didn't they cut to like five different doomsday scenarios or something? Yeah. That's the whole idea is like, these are not dangling threads. And, And the beauty in the comic some of those plot lines, the way that Kirkman told it in the comic, which they don't seem to be doing, and it's fine because it's not a comic, uh, he would do like a page every issue or other issue where right. you'd be like, this is what's happening with that now. And then that would be it. And you'd be like, when are they going to resolve this? And it would be like 15 <laughs> issues later. So like a year and a half, two years later, they'd be like, oh, now this has come to a head and we're going to tell that story now. But we're going to keep it on the boil in the meantime. And and that that is the source, I think, of that thing at the end of season one where they're very much like, uh, we those weren't throwaways. Like those are all problems like that we will have to deal with all of these the 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 sequids and the people in the other dimension uh the flaxons uh all, all of that stuff is still going on that we're still going to have to deal with it's great um i mean the depth of the the world building here uh, not only do they have 144 issues to to take from but the comic as well is uh as, as we talked about earlier like a just a uh, it's full of characters, both villains and heroes, and just dole, continues doling them out with glee. This is not a universe with eight people in it, right? Like there is an endless supply of <laughs> of there's government people and there's superheroes. There's the team team who largely becomes the guardians of the globe, and that's where Robot is, and and uh, Jason Manzukis as Rexplode. Oh boy, that guy. Uh, and duplicate. I love, I love him. I love Rexplode. He's so terrible, but then he gets an arc too. And Monster Girl is really interesting too, and it was an interesting character in the comic that they brought in here, where it's a it's a twenty four year old woman who looks like she's a twelve year old girl because when she turns into a monster, she ages backward, and so every time she activates her powers, she gets younger, and so she's sort of this cursed figure. Um, that's a lot of fun. And then there is Black Samson who gets his powers back. He gets like uh, punched and turns in, and then gets his powers back. I like the fact that uh, we we had our Justice League, our fake Justice League at the start. And you, you can imagine the pitch to a lot of the people who are doing the voices like Sonequa Martin-Green or whatever. And it was all Walking Dead people. I think everyone oh, I in, uh-huh. in the in the Guardians of the Globe was uh, from Walking Dead. But it was like, you know, come in, record like three lines. You know, it'll take an hour. Yeah. That's, that seems to be the... 
there's so many people and they kill off a lot of people that uh, it's a nice limited thing if you want presumably if they're trying to get somebody in the um the most tick like thing in this show is machine head oh my god who is a uh he's an auto-tuned <laughs> villain with a machine head and it's very much not only is it uh the tick but i guess it's also like dick tracy was the tick was riffing mm-hmm. on dick tracy villains and you know uh, Chairface Chip and Tail is is basically oh that, God. and so you have you yeah. have the Machine Head here, which is just that's his name. It's Machine Head, just a stupid, just a stupid name. Um, but he does, you know, he does very serious stuff. He's a joke character who does actually serious stuff, and that's kind of the beauty of Invincible. But that was a very tick moment of like this character is ludicrous. <laughs> it's like yeah, so funny. The, the only other person I recognized was uh, Alan the Alien. Because he was very clearly Seth Rogen's yes. voice, uh, who I think was uh, one of the producers. Yeah, or something I, I think like originally this. they were going to make a movie, a live action movie of Invincible, and they decided to make it an animated series instead. And so Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, that this was they they bought the but they bought they bought this and it was their project. And so it's fun that uh, that Alan the Alien, who is the big you know strong one eyed guy from Beyond the Stars, who has a very good punchline that I had forgotten from the comics. Which is what do you mean? This isn't Urath. It's like no, <laughs> this is Earth. It's like oh, oh all right, man, I gotta okay. go. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I gotta. Uh, this is gonna be a lot of paperwork. Alan is my favorite character. I mean, just a favorite incidental character, let's say, because it's he's just so um he's so earnest and powerful. And then the bit where he says where he says, oh, you want to time out. <laughs> There's one time out allowed. Sure. Wait, what? What's going on here? Uh, yep. I wanted to bring up uh, D.A. Sinclair, the, uh, the um, not Cree master. What's the, uh, it's like uh, the evil scientist who wants Mad to modify scientist, people's yeah. bodies. Mad scientist. And the, this is, I think this points out the greatness of how they integrate details into this is, you know, you get the um, the sort of body, it's sort of body horror and he's turning people, he's turning living people into um, you know, college students. Right, on the college campus, he turns all the, all of those students into like uh, cyborg so monsters. Yeah, they all look like RoboCop more or less, but sort of, cyber, you know, with, um, with uh, single eyeballs and things. And it's, you know, it's pretty horrifying. And then this, and one of them kills himself because they can't deal with the existential horror of it, which is very um, Cybermen uh, waking up and realizing they're in a Cyberman body kind of thing. But uh, the thing that I thought was great is just the great nuance. Cecil comes in and it's like, nope, we're going to take this all and put it to work for the government. And then a later scene after Invincible has punched the guy's jaw off practically, there's D.A. Sinclair's in a, you know, in that office, right? the room where they're monitoring the Omni-Man fight and he's in there with the neck brace and the swollen face and they're like, how fast can you get those in there? And he's like th- doing a thumbs up and you're like, Cecil will do whatever's necessary right. for the, you know, to, to prevent Earth from being destroyed, including working with somebody as evil as that. But he's got that guy in his th- under his thumb now. I was thinking somebody uh, mentioned uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and, and one of the problems I have with a lot of the current Marvel stuff is it's very unclear to me who's in charge of superheroes. Yeah. Like like the Falcon and Winter Soldier like can get planes to places and there are people who seem to work for the government but people who seem to be kind of enabled by the government. It's really unclear what the structure is and Invincible kind of addresses that head on that you've got the Global Defense Agency at the Pentagon. You've got Cecil Stedman. That's Walton Goggins. He is in charge. He will appear through a little portal at various places. He commands the Guardians of the Globe, basically. Omni-Man never really uh, you know, supervised by him. And you know, look how that worked out. And so you end up in this situation where you've got a uh, you know, a, a guy who's sort of the boss of the superheroes, but also it's not the only thing he's doing. And he's doing questionable things like instead of throwing the mad scientist in jail, he basically hires the mad scientist to make more monsters out of dead soldiers to be, you know, not used. living ones, <laughs> not Re- living ones, not, right. not college students <laughs> who are alive, but like like dead yes. soldiers to right. turn them into this. And, and it's like, oh, he's not like he's not necessarily a bad guy. He's not necessarily a good guy. He doesn't, and he doesn't have superheroes best interests at heart. He's playing a different game as this uh, representative of the, of the U S government. By the way, my favorite recurring joke from the comic book that is now a recurring joke on the TV show is that there's a sign in front of the Pentagon that says parking in rear. (laughs) I I laugh every time I (laughs) see that. Every time. Even though I just, 
There's, yeah, the, uh, I think the <laughs> thing about Cecil, this is a bit in the comic book that I think, I mean, just for reasons of length, they didn't put in the, the series, but there's a funny bit and it's early on. So I'm not spoiling anything. Cecil says every time he uses the teleporter, it costs five million, costs the taxpayers $5 million. And then he sort of starts doing it gleefully in the comic books. And I thought, I, you know, I could see where that would have worked. It's a distraction in the animated series, but I just like the idea that he's just like teleporting across the street and it costs $5 million. Well, what haven't we talked about, about Invincible that we should, uh, we should talk about any any other subjects that you guys want to bring up i i would say that the the fight scene right at the end oh yeah is yeah. is where they kind of like ramp up the i mean it's it's practically sort of anime style depictions of violence and the one bit that really stuck with me is where you know he, uh mark is held up in front of a train and is basically pushed through a train Right, um, and it kills the people oh in God. his path in the train, and he basically has to watch as his face smashes into people and kills them. Yeah, and that was the, that was kind of like beyond the 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 scene at the end of the first episode. That was the one that really stuck with me, and the, and there's other stuff around that with the the, the city of Chicago basically gets gets partially destroyed and there is that moment where it's the true superhero moment where the, the building is coming down and mark flies up to sort of try to save the people in the building um and it's like there's a a woman with a with a baby and like in the end the building collapses on the ground and he's left with like her severed arm yeah he's holding her hand and then it yeah. pans out yeah to show. and and that yeah. is that that's that's what i was thinking of when we were talking about like the human scale of superhero destruction that superhero comics and superhero movies generally don't want to deal with. Even when they deal with them, they don't really want to deal with them. Um, you know, Godzilla versus Kong. We've, we evacuated Hong Kong. It, it took two hours. It was perfectly fine. Now there's right, nobody in the exactly. buildings anymore. Like, <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, and here when, you know, Omni-Man is picking his fight with his son, the, the, people who suffer are the human beings in the city whenever anything happens there. And that I, I like that, right? Because that is the real consequence of this. And it shows that if you're a hero, a true hero, you have to be aware of that consequence, which is, it's also an interesting counterpoint to an earlier scene where the Flaxons are invading in downtown. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of destruction there and people getting blasted by alien weaponry and stuff like that. But in that one, they're very clearly like, we know this is bad. We're trying to minimize damage. Mark's trying to save people, but we're also trying to repel an alien invasion. Whereas in the last episode, it's just the superheroes are killing everybody. I think it's a good point that the one change they made from the comic book with the Flaxons is it's great because again, it, it, you know, it, it presages what's about to happen is that, you know, they, the, the Flaxons are clever. They figure out ways to invade. They've got the time dilation thing going on. So they, they age too fast. They keep working against it. And finally, uh, Omni-Man just flies through the portal and basically destroys the entire planet and then comes back and says, oh, they won't bother us again. It's fine. We had a comp, you know, it's good. <laughs> And you're like, oh my god! But it was, it was almost. Um, I think even though we'd already seen him at that point kill the uh, guardians, it was still. Yeah. Uh, sort it was of, another level up. Yeah, and and also they're they, you know the Flaxners are like holy, you know you keep seeing these shots of people like holy shit what did we do like we we're just trying to take over a planet for Christ's sake. And if there's a if there's a theme, I mean, family is obviously a big a big theme here. Um, the the relationship between Omni-Man and Invincible between Nolan and Mark is very much like, I don't know. He has grown up in human society. Mark has, and has, you know, he thinks that the human superheroes are great and he wants to be one. And his dad is, I mean, his dad, it's kind of a very weird spin on like an immigrant story where his dad's mm. like, no, 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 no. You've been poisoned by how the people on earth think. You got to think like a Viltumrite. You got to, you got to think like me. They're, they're all just ants and we're powerful. And you can't think that you're one of them. You're not one of them. Uh, you need to come with me. I mean, he, and he's Darth Vadering a little bit too. It's like, you know, yeah. you're going to rule the universe with me and we can, we can do this and we can, we can take over and they'll, they'll welcome it. And, and that is that whole fight, which is a whole episode at the end is very much, you know, Mark, not only coming of age and it's lots of metaphors happening there, but also just saying, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to be what my dad wants me to be. He kind of blows it when he says that um, uh, Mark's mother is like a pet. 
And I think that's the point where Mark kind of like decides, nah, this is not for and me. The, and then he, he doesn't, maybe doesn't even realize what he's doing, right? It's just a logical extension of his philosophy and doesn't quite realize that in saying that, what that, it, what that means to Mark. Yeah. Well, and that terrible thing he says where he says, <clears throat> excuse me, that thing where he says, uh, I, you know, I can't remember the exact words, but it's if I kill you, I just have to wait another 17 years and I can just raise the next child right. And you're like, oh, what a what is the mm. worst thing you could say? You know, it it's, uh, it's inhuman, but I think it reveals how inhuman this character is supposed to appear right. at that moment. And the 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 moment that that shakes him is when he says, you know, oh. after all of this, you know, they're they're like ants; they all are going to die. We're practically immortal. After 500 years of doing this, what would you even have left? And he says, I'd have you, Dad. Oh. And just, yeah. Yeah. I, one of the things <laughs> that, I, that I like so much is the way that they really do, they let, they let Debbie's character, um, you know, go through those different phases of doubt. Um, mm-hmm. We get to see, we get to see both her and Mark. Um, we, we see that gradual progression of, of things that just don't feel quite, right um with nolan throughout the whole season and we know with great certainty (laughs) where nolan's head is um you know we 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 start out with that first episode then we have him just casually do a genocide um on that alien planet uh to the flaxons and um you know we we are seeing very clearly no 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 he's he's well past the point of no return he arrived past the point of no return on earth um, and, and getting to, getting to see them grapple with, um, you know, th- they're not, they're not all the way dumb. They're not, they're not just helplessly oblivious and don't pick up on things that they should pick up on. Um, I, I think is, is, is a really nice, uh, touch when it comes to, uh, people just not conveniently having certain information, which is a trope in superhero comics that isn't great. Yeah, th- um, that's an improvement on the comic too, where it, it's yep. stretched out a lot longer. Um, and then when the revelation comes, it's it's still shocking, but it's not. Um, it's more like, well, Mark sees what he's doing and goes, "Oh, I get it now." And then they fight for a whole issue, which is replicated in episode eight where they fight for a whole episode. But, uh, in like, and it's a joke. It's a funny, it's actually a really funny joke that they, that they changed. Uh, Damien Darkblood is played for laughs in the comic. And although there are jokes about him in the, in the series, he is like much more like Columbo, right? Where he's Mm -hmm. like, he's like making trouble, asking the wrong questions, uh, making people suspect like he's a much more of a uh, uh, a mixer upper than he is as a, a a joke character in the comics. Although the joke that I love from the comics is that uh, about 15 issues, 10 issues after Omni-Man is revealed to have been bad, he comes to the Pentagon and he's like, I have to see Cecil. I figured out who killed the Guardians of the Globe. And the receptionist is like, gah. Everyone knows it was Omni Man, and he's like, "Oh, he's, he said it on a live broadcast." Uh, <laughs> he's like, "You know, it's late. funny. Maybe, maybe we should have said this before the spoiler horn, and maybe we did enough by talking about the tick. But I, I have to emphasize how funny the thing is. I mean, we talk about we're talking about a lot of the serious elements, and and I would say it is, um, you know, it's a comedy like Mash is a comedy. Uh, there's a lot of horror going on around everybody. Some of it." You know, a lot of it without uh, outside the control of many of the people uh, who are the principal, you know, actors or agents in the series. But it's just incredibly funny. I mean, I was laughing so much, you know, punctuated by crazy moments of horrible gore. But and I think there's some really amazing um, side character moments. I, I love the story, which is um, a pretty. Um, pretty much taken from the comic. That, but it's such a great arc. I've forgotten, and I'm watching. I'm like, oh right, which is Titan. Who you know, Titan has is trying to take care of his kid and his wife, and he wants to get out of a life of crime, and that's how we how we meet him, uh, because he's working for Machine Head, but he, but Machine Head won't let him leave because he's got he's strong, he's got powers, and and he convinces Invincible to help him take down Machine Head, um, and of course the the tragic story is that once Machine Head's out of the way, Titan can be the crime lord of the city and invincible has kind of unwittingly <laughs> helped him do it. But it's such a great moment. Cause he's like, well, yeah, but now my daughter and my wife 
will be okay and I've, I've taken care of them. And now I'm- But he's the... right too. This is yeah. always the thing. There's a power vacuum created when you take down a crime lord, there'd be a power vacuum and the mm-hmm. whole, you know, the whole city would be, or I forget what machine heads it was supposed to encompass in the anime yeah. series, but right. There would be this terrible, you know, you get turf wars and more violence and, and disruption. So at some level, a slightly kinder crime Lord transitioning to less right. horrible crime. Oh, by the way, Titan Mahershala Ali, just another, yeah. Yeah, just, he's fine. It's whatever. Yeah. It's, it's you know, <laughs> Marvel's Marvel's blade is in this and, uh, it's Oscar winner Marvel's blade. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. So there's a lot of that, like that. That's, that's the thing, you know, I, I think maybe as I get older, I appreciate even more narratives that really do care about the characters that are in the story and view them as view them with empathy, whether they're good or bad, like view them with empathy because ultimately they're not just good or bad. They're people who made bad decisions or who have a skewed view of the world. And this show does that in this comic booky ridiculous context. And that, you know, like the tick, that's what I really love is that it's, it's both really, really smart and good and also completely absurd. And that's superhero comics to me is both of those things. It is, it is brightly colored absurdity, but it's at its best when it's got a, a, a real, you know, there's a reality, something that me- is meaningful under the surface. And I do think that Invincible, the the TV show, nails it, nails that tone. What, um, for those who haven't read ahead, what, 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 uh, what are you looking forward to for a second and third season of Invincible? Mm, well, I, th- I think that's just James. Cause yeah, James. <laughs> I know, yeah. I shut up now. <laughs> um, I mean, as, as it, as we said, like in the end sequence of this, they show the like, thousand things that they've set up and i don't know i'm just i'm curious what they pick and i'm curious how long they wait before omni-man comes back like is he going to be and i have no idea is he going to be missing for most of season two and then appear in season three or something like that um so you know it's like all the answers are sitting in a comic book that i could just go and read presumably uh or or could you because maybe they won't maybe they'll they're faking us out and there'll be different elements different orders i think they're just going to remix what's there but but you don't know i mean that's the thing i don't even know what is season two is going to really be about because they have so much to choose from mm-hmm. there's so much material we like the magician series as a whole i'd say the, the voice of the incomparable i think as it went on uh most of us generally liked it more um through most of the seasons and you know that diverged the first season was fairly closely hewn and then the second less so and they kind of worked out a gimmick to make that work in the context of the uh of the books but by the time we reach season five there's practically nothing related to the original trilogy so i don't i don't know if they're going to do that here it doesn't sound like it yeah my gut feeling is that this is going to be incredibly uh connected to the source material yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. sounds like it i i very much i i'm i'm kind of looking forward to them playing with the looming threat of the fact that omni-man is gone, but for how long right. will he come back? Um, and playing with that vacuum, I, what I could see them doing with season two is going, okay, what is a world without an Omni Man like? Mm. Right, right, and 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 uh, what is that? Yeah, what have you gained by running him off? And also keeping like he's not the threat, right? The threat is he comes from a a, a galactic empire of <laughs> people, all of whom are yeah. as powerful as he is. So who's to say he isn't just going to go home and bring forty of them to completely destroy the planet? Like he could do anything. It's it's a it's just out there as one of those threats that's out there on mm-hmm. the board, like with the sequins and the flaxons and whoever else is like all of that other stuff that's potentially there. But yeah, with him gone and it's not just earth without Omni-Man, right? It's Mark and his mom without Mark's dad. It's, it's all of those things are the fallout of what happens in season. Yeah. I, I love the bit where they retcon, not retcon, but where uh, uh, Nolan is retelling the same story twice, right? In the first one, it's like there's a guy flying around holding this really big thing, and it's this enlightened world. And then when he tells it the real way, the guy has that really big thing, and he's killing people. Yeah. <laughs> it's just sort of this, ah, oh, the world of Krypton sort of style thing. We're all enlightened philosophers spreading our, you know, the beauty of it. It's like, no, we're just out there murdering people. That's right. And, and the big stack of bodies where they, oh, yeah, they have their. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, where they, they battle each other to find the strongest people. Uh, oh my gosh! Planet. By the way, shout out to Battle Beast, who is introduced as one of awesome. the various thugs hired uh, by Machine Head. Um, 
and that's how he's introduced in the comics and it's funny because that that character is way more interesting than that uh Mm -hmm. and and they learn in the comics they're like oh there's more to be done with battle beast (laughs) and here there's a nod to it because here they they fight for a while and battle beast is going to kill mark and and they're fighting and and at one point battle beast is like you people all suck I am looking for the biggest challenge of someone to fight in the universe. Yeah, and you aren't yeah. it. I'm out of here. And he leaves. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's our great. battle beast. Because that's his <laughs> whole goal. That character's whole goal is just to find a good fight. Yeah. <laughs> and so I like that he's like, you guys aren't any good. I'm out of here. Because it's like, he would kill everybody, but he's not interested because it's boring. Yeah, it's not, his, it's not his point. Well, I think there's a good uh, there's a good thing there. It's, you know, I'm kind of stealing from the Wikipedia entry that it mentions Mark goes into a berserker mode. And I'm like, that. there is this great little underlying thing about the loss of control, which is a great, right. you know, teenage theme, is what happens when you can no longer control your superpower, which would allow you to destroy everyone on the planet, because you get into this blind rage. And so he thinks of himself as human and controllable and within mm-hmm. scale, but then it turns but out- But he's his no, father's he's son. He's Vitramite. Yeah. <laughs> right? Wow. And what does that yeah. mean? Well, he's our main character, and he's just a normal, average- everyday human kid except he's not he's also the son of omni-man and is going to live almost forever and has all of these impossible incredible powers that um we've seen what omni-man could do so what does that mean like that's that's and that that's part you know you layer that on to the typical kind of like teenage struggles with school and and relationships and all those yeah. other things. I was, I was going to say we never really we haven't really talked very much about his relationship with Amber, right? And how that sort of grows through the series. And you get the the moment where you know he he's always sort of diving off and doing the superhero thing mm-hmm. of you know they're on a date, but there's a plane crashing in halfway around the world, so he has to go and deal with that. Uh, and eventually, you know, she's fed up with this, and uh, he he does the whole you know, I'm going to tell you the truth. You know, I'm really invincible. And she's like, yeah, I worked that out weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that doesn't make it any better. Mm-hmm. I love all of that stuff. The, um, the, the teen superhero angst stuff is just, I mean, like I said, I grew up on Spider-Man. I love it. It's, it's, he's, he's miserable. And like, he's like, oh, I, oh, this is so bad. And then she's like, yeah, you're also a terrible boyfriend because uh, yeah. you're always running off and not paying attention. I know you're a superhero, you're also a terrible boyfriend. <laughs> right. right. Revolving around the, the, the Spider-Man metaphor, you know, instead of it being with, it, it is a twist on with great power comes great responsibility, but it's what if Spider-Man just were Captain Universe? Um, not just right. what if he were Captain Universe for the length of a what if issue, but if he had this immortal life and this sort of absolute kind of power uh, capacity, you know, it it, it takes... With great power, uh, there must also come great responsibility and adds it to power corrupts, absolute power mm-hmm. corrupts, absolutely. You know, what's funny is uh, I feel like a couple, three years ago, I can't remember if it was prompted by you, Jason, or you, Moises, or maybe someone else. I uh, was reading a couple different series that were about like worlds in which there was a Supermanish character who just kind of turned like one seemed like they were lab created, their memories were suppressed and recovered, and the other... I think somebody who seemed very, you know, good and whatever, like he breaks, like he has a relationship breakup and then is just sort of like arbitrarily destroying cities and things. And I read both those series for a bit and they're just so dour, just like kind of the dark DC universe ones where there's uh Superman is becomes all, you know, super controlling and is um, killing, you know, Shazam and so forth, Captain Marvel. And, uh, uh, those are so dour and dark and trying to make us feel everything is gritty and awful. And some of them are quite good. I guess I'm not criticizing the work there, but I think I read three of the series over, I don't know, three or four years of that ilk and was like, okay, I don't need to read any more of these. And then I come to a show uh, like Invincible and, you know, particularly the animated series, which is so, you know, it's the comic is great, but having all the bright colors and the, the kind of, um, taking that vibe to motion makes it obviously even better. And I'm like, this is not dour. Like there's terrible things happening. There's terrible outcomes that could occur, but it's both hilarious and upbeat. These people are fighting towards a good fight. They haven't lost yet and they have hope still, which is fantastic. Yeah. As opposed to, I mean, I was thinking of irredeemable a lot, which is Mark Wade's Mm. like 37 Mm -hmm. issue series, which is, that's the one 
I think it's good, but it is super grim about a superhero, yeah. Superman who basically was like, "Now nah, I'm just going to kill everybody now." Yeah, yeah. And uh, and, and you know, obviously there have been lots of different comics where it's sort of like, "What if Superman was bad?" But I mean, this has happened again. You know, Squadron Supreme, and like this, this, these stories are told a lot. But the difference here is sort of like, well, what if we tell that story from the bright, brightly colored teen superhero genre, and it's your dad, who's that guy? And and he leaves, but you know the betrayal is real, and the fallout is real, uh, and that I mean that's a that's a nice spin. That's a that's a new take on that. I would say that that kind of classic concept, and and not dour to Glenn's point, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. There's a lot mm-hmm. of a lot there's a lot of uh, of uh, sort of cynical or uh, or uh, corrosive <laughs> kind of if you will uh, rough takes on on uh, superhero as a genre. Um, that don't really do it for me, I gotta say. And this is not that. The biggest recent example of it is DC's Injustice, which was a comic series that adapted a video game to effectively come up with the justification for why you have a DC superhero fighting game where everybody's punching each other. Yeah. And it, it involves the Joker using Joker gas to fool Superman into punching through and murdering Lois Lane. And then Superman goes crazy. And that's basically what it, it seems the setup uh, was the plan for Zack Snyder's Snyderverse uh, take on everything was that they were going to, have Superman go mad and be a despotic ruler and end the world and team up with Darkseid, which is horrible. Um, I, as, I, I will uh, defend those games. And I will I'll, I'll defend the games, games in the comics. Really good. I'll defend but the games in the comics. I, I don't dig the notion of making that the basis for the the mainline live action movie continuity mm, for those characters. Oh, yeah. Like that. That's bananas. what. That's what I don't get. But the, the comics written by. Um, I'll say friend of the show, um, uh, Tom Taylor, uh, are incredibly well written. And and he he is a gigantic Superman fan and hated the fact that his big DC Comics breakthrough project was Superman. But he's horrendously evil and a despotic ruler of Earth. Um, but he found he found he found the interesting story to tell around that. So, yeah, like it's there and you can read it. Um, but I, I just um, I, I dig it as a as a what if as a side story as an Elseworlds kind of a thing. Um, but without without something to counterbalance the the dour stuff. Um, and in the case of DC, that being all the mainline stuff, which is, you know, it's its own thing. And the 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 antecedent to the this as a take on all of those characters, um, it, it's it, it's real. It, it's a real tough uh, thing to do with such established characters and have that be, well, this is just, this is the main reality. Um, it, it's, it's difficult to accept that and not have it be its own separate thing like squadron Supreme or, you know, earth 2678 or whatever. The thing that I kept thinking of, uh, is that Omni-Man is Henry Cavill Superman, but without the CG mustache removal. And once that was in my head, it was just stuck. I did like the trope that the the Viltrumites have to have mustaches, I think, or so, we, so maybe, maybe suppose. I don't know if that's entirely true, but it is kind of a, it's a kind of funny thing. Mark doesn't have his mustache yet. No. Will he? The evil, Will he evil mustache. That mustache feeling. It's a tick episode, actually. Um, we have a little comic book club breakout in there. That happened. That's fine. That's all good. Yep. Um, well, I think we've reached the end. People should go watch this if they haven't. It's great. And there's more to come. I would, I would, uh, I would love to do a comic book club on these comics once the show is done. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a wise choice. Wise choice. All right. Well, uh, that wraps up this episode. Let me thank you uh, individually, Glenn Fleischman. Thank you. Thank you. I need to rewatch the show, and I'm going to think about it. James Thompson. Thank you. Uh, I wish I got younger every time I got angry. <laughs> <laughs> and Moises Chuyan. Thank you. You did a pretty good job hosting this for a clone. That's what you say, clone. And. <laughs> Thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We'll see you next time. Bye.